0: From the Alex Rebecca stage at Sony Picture Studios, this is Inside Jeopardy!
1: Hello and welcome back to Inside Jeopardy! Your exclusive and official podcast destination for all things happening in the world of Jeopardy! I'm Sarah Foss and I'm joined today by Buzzy Cohen.
2: Hi Sarah, thanks for having me back.
1: Well, happy belated Valentine's Day, Buzzy. And
2: to you too.
1: It's been a minute, but I would be remiss if I didn't bring up our friend... Every year on Valentine's Day, I think this is the third year in a row now, where she is coming up with creative valentines featuring people in the world of Jeopardy. I know you've seen them. Did you have a favorite?
2: My two favorites were the uh, Sarah Foss one, which was You Have No Clue How Much I Love You. Love that. that And the Ray Lalonde, It's Raining Love. That was those good, too. Were, those were my two favorites. Of
1: course, Buzz, you would not go without yes. a Valentine. So we had the My Heart is a Buzz" with Love for You. I think my favorite was for Juveria. Take a yes. second chance on me, Valentine. Oh. There were the Brohawks featured Dave Rapp and TJ Talley. You hawk my world. Ken getting a little love from yeah. Cetera with... Can you feel the love tonight?
2: I have to say, I really appreciate this coming from a fan like Satara. It was a little uncomfortable when the show did it back in the All-Stars days. Right. That really caught me off guard. We did
1: make some Valentines, and now I think we're going to just leave just it to Satera. Yes. Except for the Jeopardy! channels did a very, you know, right on brand Who is your Valentine with an old school Alex Trebek looking great photo mustache and all?
2: Yeah, and like wearing like a stone double-breasted suit is so Valentine.
1: Yeah, with a red tie. Red tie. I also have to share there was Valentine's love shared by one of our TOC contestants, Suresh Krishnan. Apparently, according to the contestant team, he said, would it be okay if I just... Gave the team just, like, one small, like, $5 box of chocolate. Would that be okay? And they said, sure. Little did they know that Suresh was going to come back with a giant bag of about 25 boxes of chocolates (laughs) in the shape of, you know, heart-shaped boxes. So... Thank you, Suresh. Yes. No one needs to ever. In fact, we encourage people not to give us any sort of gift or anything. This was at the completion of the TOC. And, you know, bless his heart that he really wanted to give something back to the staff and crew. And we've been enjoying chocolates. Very sweet. And
2: I'm sure Matt from Sullivan would not have allowed anything untoward to happen.
1: Yes, of course. And speaking of the TOC, the matchups for the quarterfinals are up on our mini site. You're going to want to check those out. You're going to want to see when your favorite players from that field of 27 will be competing. It's good. In fact, we kick off the first game on a Friday, of course, February 23rd, with Suresh Krishnan, Emily Sands, our Champions Wild Card winner, and Matthew Marcus, four-game winner from Season 39. So it's exciting.
2: I'm excited. You know, I, of course, brought my handy-dandy notebook. I'm excited to whip it back out. Yes,
1: I'm sure many notes were taken. A
2: lot of notes, yeah.
1: On Thursday, we are going to find out which of our Champions wildcard players from this group, Group 2 from Season 39, has secured that final 27th spot in the Tournament of Champions. We're also going to be releasing the full Jeopardy! Honors ceremony, including our blue carpet arrivals. Buzzy, that will be going up on YouTube, 6 p.m. Pacific Time this Thursday. On the eve, of course, of Tournament of Champions. And then today on the pod, we're going to be sharing some of the highlights and winners Mm -hmm. from honors. Plus, we're going to speak with former senior researcher Suzanne Stone. She's going to help us uh, reveal a little bit more about this year's Hall of Fame inductee. But, of course, before that, we have Champions Wildcard Games to highlight. And even before all of that, we're going to take a quick look back at this week in Jeopardy! history.
0: (laughs) Henry Rosicki, narrowly in second place with 17,000. Did he come up with Willie Loman, Death of a Salesman? He did, he even neatened his handwriting. So you're gonna add 17,000, all of it. You double up as well and you are at 34,000. Somebody's winning a lot of money today. Who will it be? It all comes down to Christine Welchel, her response and her wager. She came up with Willie Loman. All you had to do was wager one and you're a Jeopardy champion. You wagered 15,000 even. Christine and Henry, you are tied right now with $34,000, and we're gonna play a tiebreaker clue. Here's how this is gonna work. I'm gonna reveal a category, and then read you a single clue. The first player to ring in with a correct response is our new Jeopardy! champion. Simple. All right, here we go. Good luck to both of you, Henry and Christine. Your category for the tiebreaker will be flowers. And here's your clue. After its inclusion in a 1915 poem, this red flower became a symbol of fallen World War I soldiers. Christine. What is poppy? You are correct. Christine, you are our new Jeopardy! Champion.
1: It was February 23, 2022, when Christine Welchel first took the stage up against Henry Rosicki and Patrick Burnett. This was a great game with Christine and Henry neck and neck, each with almost $20,000 heading into Final Jeopardy, where they were both correct to finish in a tie. But after that all-important tiebreaker clue, it was Christine who prevailed as champion and went on to win three other games – As you'll remember, it was Margaret Shelton, regular Virginia, who was the one who defeated Christine during what would have been her fifth game. She was a four-game winner. Then Margaret Shelton went on to win three other games herself, becoming a four-game champion. And then came Maureen O'Neill, who went on to be a four-game champion. This was such an exciting time to see three women dominating back-to-back on the Alex Trebek stage. Of course, they all returned to compete in the 2023 Tournament of Champions, and Maureen advanced to the semifinals where she was defeated by none other than the Tournament of Champions winner that year, Amy Schneider.
2: You know, you have these streaks where you kind of go back-to-back-to-back, and it's just such a great moment in the energy of the show.
1: And it had been a minute since we had... Streaks. At that point, we had obviously had a lot early on in right. season thirty-nine, but this was kind of a little lull in the streak. So yeah. it was really fun when that happened. It
2: really came alive.
1: Well, heading into the highlights, we kicked off the week with Shriram Krishnan, Donna Maturi, and Dan Wall competing in our sixth quarterfinal. Donna and Shriram were neck and neck until Donna found the first daily double in Double Jeopardy, scoring five thousand dollars to take a lead. She continued to build on her lead, but Shriram was able to stay in contention heading into final. And then it was Sriram who came up with the correct response for that come from behind win from second place. In this show, we featured our National Geographic Genius Series MLKX. We had Kelvin Harrison Jr. who portrays Martin Luther King in the series Present the category for us. Great to work with him. If you haven't checked it out yet, Genius MLKX is streaming on Disney+.
2: Well, uh, this was a really well-played game, I think. It's a tough break for Donna. We were all just chatting before about how I have a really hard time with Final Jeopardy, so I really feel for you. But Come From Behind Win is very exciting, so good TV.
1: Yeah, and Shriram after the game in the post-game chat saying... It's amazing to walk back into one of your dreams again. It was a dream come true the first time, and when you came over to take the photo, he was of course talking to Ken and said, It's good to see you again. And that this is something I've done before is totally bananas. Ken responded, You're a regular now. That's what happens with these yes. new competitions. You know, we we pull you back in. Yep. Well, moving on to Tuesday for our next quarterfinal featuring second chance champion Long Nguyen, Kat Jepson and Nicole Rudolph. This was an exciting matchup between Long and Kat. Long started off strong, immediately finding the first Daily Double and then running the Lending You a Poker Hand category. But it was Kat who finished the round right on his tail. They continued to battle it out on Double Jeopardy until Long responded correctly to an 11 11- thousand dollar true daily double he doesn't even hesitate he just goes all in he takes a strong lead cat quickly found the final daily double taking back the lead which was maintained by cat heading into final both long and cat with impressive scores over twenty five thousand dollars at this point but all three of them responded correct to final and so with a big wager it's cat who secures the win
2: first of all hats off to long and cat and nicole but especially, I want to give it to Long and Cat for those big daily doubles. That you know takes guts, and that's how you how you win games.
1: And in Final Jeopardy, a bit of a funny coincidence. The category: Southern politicians. An article written after his 1935 death asked, "Will some crown prince arise to take his place?" The correct response: "Who is Huey Long?" Long responded, <laughs> "Who is Long? Not me." And Ken joked, "You got to write your own name for finals." So yeah. kind of a fun thing when that. That type of coincidence happens. Very fun. Did you ever get to write who is Buzzy or Austin or Cohen? Never. No. All right, well.
2: And if, if it had been an option, knowing my uh, rate <laughs> of get for Final Jeopardy, I probably would have written something else. <gasps> Even if you miss my, my own name. Well it's sorta like it's sorta of like in GOAT how James missed Iago, which is a version of the name James. Yes.
1: It happens. Painful. It happens. Heading into Wednesday's matchup between Vince Bacani, Ilhana Radzovic, and Elliot Kim. It was a close Jeopardy round between all three players, but Vince was able to get out to a strong lead early in double Jeopardy after responding to a $5,000 daily double. He maintained that lead heading into final, but Ilhana was able to make her way back into contention. Vince, though, the only player to be correct in final, and he advances to the semifinals. In the post-game chat, Vince just said, this tournament is such a godsend. I am playing with host money.
2: Yes, I like the idea of host money instead of house money.
1: I like it too. Yeah, Yeah, thanks, Ken. (laughs) Moving on to Thursday for our last quarterfinal, game of Champions Wildcard for the entire season. Yes, you heard it here first. (laughs) Deandra D'Alessio, James Tyler, and David Betterman. This was a great game. Deandra found and responded correctly to all three daily doubles, adding $9,000 to her score. But despite the high score she built, James managed to work his way into contention before final. It was a triple stumper in that round, both James and David wagering everything. And so Deandra, with that minimal wager, secures a spot in the semifinals.
2: You know, I know there are people out there who are like, Buzzy, why are you so into big daily doubles? And I think this game kind of proves the point you usually have more information you have more time let's say you get it wrong final it's like it's final so if you're in Deandra's position and it's a tough final that's where you want to be
1: yeah it paid off for her she's headed to the semis Ken said to her in the postgame chat you are our last quarterfinal winner you know the rest of the semi field how do you think you stack up Deandra?" and of course she said bring it little Sam butchery right there yeah perfectly executed Well, we closed out the week with our first semifinal matchup between Mira Hayward, Vince Bacani, and Shriram Krishnan. All three players started off strong, but it was Mira who had the lead heading into double jeopardy. She continued to build on that lead with the help of a $4,000 daily double. Then Vince had the chance to close the gap with an all-in $5,000 daily double, but was incorrect. Shriram then tried his best to work back into contention. And he had the chance on the last clue of the round, but it was Vince who rang in on that final clue, allowing Mira to secure a runaway and the first spot in the finals. A lot of commentary about this game. I want you to take a listen to what Ken and the contestants discussed right after it ended.
0: How are you feeling about your performance? Incredibly lucky and very grateful. i <laughs> you all played well. You were within a it, Within the nose. Well,
3: she was, she was doing so well. When I got to the Antarctic Explorers, I knew I had to flip a coin.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And I picked the wrong one. And then At that point, I was like, oh boy, this is, gonna, this is gonna be tough. And obviously my heart sunk with those darn Argonauts, but you know, Sorry. being in that position, but you know, it, it, was, it was such thin margins.
0: First of all, it's hard to have that kind of game awareness, yeah. you know, between second and third at that moment. But also, he had just stolen Montreal from you, Vince. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We have to honor the game. We're, we're, you know, we're all here to win, we're all here to compete, but we're here to honor the, honor the game. And I, I'm sorry, but I actually thought you guys were beating me all game yeah. long. This question will be the same thing. <laughs> Congratulations, Mira, and best Thank of you. luck in the yes. finals. And I have
1: to say, even Vince himself reached out to us to say, is that post-game chat going to end up anywhere? I really don't want anyone to think in any way that I consciously was trying to take that moment away from Sriram. He just didn't realize in that moment. And I think you can speak to that, Buzzy. When you're up there, there's a lot going on.
2: Yeah, I don't really remember looking up at those scores, except, you know, at a daily double or at Final Jeopardy. You're just in it. You're trying your best to you know, you're in a flow state if you're lucky. And so I I totally get what Vince is saying. And this is what makes Jeopardy! with three contestants, as opposed to a lot of games that have two, very interesting.
1: Well, that is it for this week's Game Highlights. Now it's time for our host chat. An audience member asked Ken, what are your thoughts on the player strategy of searching for daily doubles versus going top to bottom on the board?
0: I mean, we love seeing different strategies, different approaches to the game. I was always a top-down guy when I was on the show. But that was 2004, like almost everybody did that. Um, I've talked to Brad Rutter about this because he's also a top-down guy, but once you're playing against someone who's not, you kind of have to retaliate. You know, once the cat's out of the bag, everybody has to hunt for the Daily Doubles because it it really is a winning strategy, I think. What are your
1: thoughts, Buzzy?
2: I'm not a top-to-bottom player. Here's the thing, like you want to stay in control of the board and the top clues are going to be toss-ups. So you really are relying on your buzzer timing, which fluctuates. Even if you're in the zone, someone else can get in there and all of a sudden you've given up control. Playing this game is all about keeping control and the bottom of the board is where you have a better chance of doing that.
1: Yes, I think I look at it more from the content on the game board (laughs) and oftentimes the way the writers design the categories and even a lot of our video categories, you're really going to do better with those categories if you kind of start at the top and figure out what it is we're looking for. I remember having clue crew categories that i was so excited about for them to play them and they would start at the bottom and they wouldn't really get it in and then it would kind of you know crash and burn a little bit and mm. i was like oh if only they had started at the top but i get from a gameplay perspective yes. you got to be at the bottom well buzzy let's shift gears a little bit let's let's, let's take ourselves back we're all dulled up it's jeopardy
2: honors yes <laughs> Well, it was a rainy a rainy evening for Jeopardy! Honors, so those of you who do tune in to the YouTube, which you must do, yes. uh, will notice that our blue carpet looks an awful lot like the Alex Trebek stage.
1: That's true. Last year we had our step and repeat where we would do photographs of the contestants and then they would come and talk to you and me, Buzzy, on the Jeopardy! blue carpet. And we still had our step and repeat. It was in our, our breezeway area between the Jeopardy! stage and the Wheel of Fortune stage. And we were going to do the interviews there yeah. as well. And when we went out to check it... It sounded like, well, the audio, all you would have heard, you wouldn't hear Buzzy, you wouldn't hear me, you wouldn't hear the contestants, all you would hear was the downpour of rain, and it was very loud, so we made a quick shift. (laughs) And yes, we did, in fact, do the interviews on the Alex Trebek stage. We hosted the honors event on the Wheel of Fortune stage, but when you tune in and watch it, you're not going to know you're on the Wheel of Fortune stage. It's a little Easter egg for you when you tune in to see it. We had some great interviews. Mm -hmm. I have to say, my favorite... Really, did they bring it in terms of the blue carpet was Kevin Bell. Yes. But Kevin came as Whiskey Ginger.
2: I got to say, I said this in the interview. If I had shown up and the day before (laughs) somebody was in drag, I would have been so intimidated and I probably would have just given up
1: yes and it was great when kevin first reached out and said hey i'd love to come to the honors event you know as whiskey ginger and we said we are all for it but kevin said okay is there any chance i could be in the earlier rehearsal group because it's (laughs) going to take me a bit more time to get ready for this event we talked to so many people that were a part of toc so you'll definitely want to tune in on youtube and then of course that will lead right into the actual award ceremony for honors We're going to reveal to you right now who wins these awards. So if you don't want to know and you want to wait until Thursday... Fast forward. Fast forward, because we're going to tell you. Best celebration. Yeah. This is an award that we gave out last year to Roan Talsma. And, you know, Roan was so excited in that moment when he defeated Amy Schneider. But there was no one as excited as Brian Henniger as he was going on and winning games. And I think even in the moment when it was revealed that he was the winner of this award, as you will see... He was celebrating just as big. It's his natural reaction. I love it.
2: I love it. Love a good celebration.
1: Next award, Best Interview. And this was a hands down, we all agreed, Martha Bath. We called it the interview 50 years in the making, Mm -hmm. just hearing about Martha's original appearance with Art Fleming and then coming back and playing all these years later. Martha wasn't in attendance for the award because she was in Egypt and Jordan (laughs) on a great trip she told me before the TOC, Sarah, I am actually glad I didn't win Champions Wild Card because <laughs> I have a great trip planned. And she talked about she knew it was a trip that Alex and I had taken to Jordan. Yeah. And she was really excited for that trip. But we have sent her the award. So she knows now that she is a winner. Our first two-time winner of the night, mm-hmm. Young Shin Wong, won for Best Signature. Right. Not only did he write his name in English, but he also wrote it beautifully in Chinese. And last year, he won for his style. Yeah, so best he's dress. a he's a two-time winner. And, and
2: crossing categories, which I love. You quite know? amazing. It's like a writer-director situation. Yeah,
1: and spoiler alert, he doesn't come out holding a beer in one hand and a trophy <laughs> in the other this year, which we also love to yeah. see. For the Style Award this year, we actually expanded it. Last year we called it you know, the Fashion Award. Mm. But we thought it's really just a whole style. It's a vibe. It's a vibe that people are bringing, and so we wanted to kind of widen that a bit and that award went to robert kane who handcrafted not one but two lego ties and he came with a third a third (laughs) two honors even a lego pocket square you're not going to want to miss seeing that
2: i would wear the pocket square i don't know about i don't know if you'd catch me in a lego tie but you might catch me (laughs) in a lego pocket square
1: well one of our new awards this year was best comeback and this went to andy terrell we had him on the pod last week we love him but remember, he's the one who defeated Chris Panulo mm-hmm. in that come-from-behind win. You have to know, he went from being in the red yes. to being just $700 behind Chris heading into Final Jeopardy. So if- If that's not a comeback story, I don't know what is. And he took away that award. Another new award this year, the Perfect Game Award. Mm -hmm. We can't give this out every year because it's not often that we have a perfect game where our three contestants respond correctly to all 60 clues and Final Jeopardy. That game went to one competed in by Yogesh Rout, Kyle Daly, and Christina Mosley. Yogesh Rout in attendance for the TOC, so he was there to accept his award and he wanted to make sure we were sending the other two (laughs) he's like this is not my award i won this with two other people so yes yogesh we are sending it out to your fellow award winners for perfect game another new award this year breakthrough performance and if anyone had a breakthrough season it was javeria Zahir coming back for that second chance making her way all the way through that competition, then coming back for Champions Wild Card, coming up as the winner in that and heading into the TOC. So that was a new award that yeah. we felt went to a very deserving candidate. We had our most valuable player. That went to Amy Schneider last year. This year, hands down, Chris Panulo, 21 yeah. wins, 17 of which were runaways, over $700,000 in winnings. You know, he holds the sixth spot on the leaderboard of legends for consecutive games won. He holds the number five spot for highest winnings during regular season play. And finally, the Alex Trebek Person of the Year this year went to Amy Schneider. So she is also now a two-time winner. And again, this award really does acknowledge someone who is doing something outside of the Jeopardy! community in their community, something Alex Trebek felt so strongly about. Gene Trebek was there Mm -hmm. to present the award. And Amy was recognized for the contributions she has made in the trans community from the awareness that her long run did just bring overall and then other things that she has gone out and done to advocate.
2: Such a special and well-earned award.
1: Well, last but not least, we also inducted another member to our Hall of Fame. As a reminder, last year we inducted Mervyn Julian Griffin, Harry Friedman, Johnny Gilbert, and Alex Trebek. And this year we decided to add just one name to the list. We thought in this year of the writer and being so happy to have our writers back with us following the strike, we thought it was time to honor one of the Jeopardy! legends, and that is Jeopardy! writer Stephen Dorfman. Michelle Loud and Billy Weiss, our co-head writers, were there to present the award. Stephen's family was there to accept it. Of course, we did lose Stephen in 2004. But his mark on the show is indelible and actually we want to welcome to the pod someone who worked hand-in-hand with Stephen and has so many wonderful stories to share. Suzanne Stone, thank you for joining us. Obviously, you were with the show for so many years, and you really did have a chance to to know and love and work alongside the great Stephen Dorfman.
3: That is true. I knew him from the very first day he started work back in June of 84, and we worked together until uh, his passing in early 2004, so almost 20 years. And I can't believe it's been 20 years since he passed, but he hovers over us. You know, we consider him, uh, those who are still working and not retired like me, uh, that he's a guardian angel because he really set the standard for how to craft the clues and the games and. Uh, what standards we have for uh, accuracy and research and where the creativity comes from. For Stephen, it was everywhere. He went everywhere and discovered things that uh, became Jeopardy! clues just because he was always a curious person. He dedicated himself to his dream job and he did have his dream job. He was very happy in it.
1: And Michelle and Billy always talk about the fact that there were Stephen Dorfman clues years after his passing, yes. because that's you know how much he wrote and how often he was contributing.
3: That's right. Uh, the database part of it is like who wrote the clue, who researched the clue, and what dates the writing and researching were done. And that is the amazing thing, is that you can go in and find things from 1998 or 2003, and there is Stephen Dorfman's initials on it, He contributes to this day, I'm sure. As you said, Billy and Michelle attest to that. Do you have a favorite
1: Stephen Dorfman story?
3: Yes, early on. uh, This is 1984, before the internet. We actually did things (laughs) before the internet. He had called Disneyland to talk to one of the souvenir shops, I believe, on Main Street. He wanted to get a particular gift for somebody, and he was talking to the clerk. And the clerk mistook him for an exterminator. They had hired an exterminator to, uh, to deal with a problem in the store in Disneyland. And it had to do with a mice infestation. I wish I could have said <laughs> I made this up, but I didn't. He was on the phone and he shared with us what was happening. And he thought it was a wonderful idea that we do a clue about Disneyland having a mice infestation. Given that Disneyland obviously was built on a mouse and uh <laughs> so he thought it would be great to do a whole category called vermin and he did build a category around uh, you know general information about uh pests in the world and we were able to confirm that's exactly what happened that there was a mice infestation at disneyland and uh, the old-fashioned way by telephone you know it was just that he it was these found objects you might say uh, things that he just discovered, uh, you know, by happenstance.
1: Well, you might not have the database in front of you, but I do. And you're oh, good. absolutely correct. On January 15th, 1986, that episode oh. aired. The category vermin, The Clue, for $400. At 3 a.m. June 21st, 1985, Disney sent the exterminator into Fantasyland to rid it of these... Pests. I love that you, you recall that story and it's absolutely accurate. And that is just one small example of the ways that his creative mind worked and these wonderful categories he would create.
2: The other thing that that I learned at honors was how much of the kind of irreverent tone of Jeopardy in the kind of humor and the playfulness of both clues and categories. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that you can kind of call out in terms of the way he balance the sort of hard-hitting Jeopardy! knowledge and that sort of irreverent tone.
3: Yeah, from the very beginning, uh, the standards that uh, Mer Griffin and Bob Murphy and Alex Trebek, you know, Alex was a producer the first couple of seasons. They wanted the meat and potatoes classic Jeopardy! I mean, we were in new territory, obviously, from 1984 on. Stephen was the one that pushed for more fun categories and more irreverent elements. And it took a while for him to convince Alex and Bob and Merv that it would work. And how he knew is he finally got a category called Famous Pigs. And I believe Petunia Pig was in there and maybe Porky Pig. And of course, there's <laughs> Wilbur was probably in it from Charlotte's Web. And uh, once the contestants at the tapings and the live audience, they laughed and they really enjoyed playing those categories. So we didn't have to have just the academic categories, and it was these categories. And of course, they weren't always there. They were, but they were uh, injected into the the tough material, and yeah. uh, it it did play out. And it's part of our, you know, our legacy now, or his legacy certainly is that he saw that uh, little fun was would go a long way. What does it mean to you, or what was your reaction when you heard
1: that? Stephen would be inducted into the Jeopardy! Hall of Fame, the first writer to be inducted, and obviously the only person this year to stand alone Well-deserved.
3: I mean, there was no one else like Stephen. He was always thinking of new categories, new clues. When I started doing some of the research on his material, all the writers had to cite where their sources were, and a lot of them, of course, were encyclopedias or atlases, dictionaries, things like that. But Stephen was citing books that uh, were in our library, but they were obscure old books that had actually been in the original Jeopardy! library back in the 1960s when Jeopardy! was produced in New York City. And I said, where did you get this book? And he showed it to me on the shelf in our library. And it's like, it was a nothing book, but he would just out of habit, a good habit it turned out, he would take any book in the morning and start thumbing through it and seeing if there was anything in that old reference book that could still be used. He was very methodical, always looking for ways to add interesting things and making sure that they were accurate. He would call up the Department of Agriculture to get the latest, you know, corn crop uh, statistics, things like that. He would uh, find celebrities to talk to that were working on the, on the lots where we, uh, we worked. You never knew who you were going to see and he would uh just go and and ferret out information one of the highlights was probably 1992 1993. Stephen had found out that george burns had his offices on the lot and he became friends with his driver and assistant and uh it was going to be george's birthday he, i think he turned like 95 or 96 that year and Stephen got us invited to say hello to him and sing happy birthday i i think that's what happened but what happened is george burns sang to us and just posed for photographs and stephen was asking him questions about his career and everything for future clues and one thing i'll never ever forget one it was just wonderful to meet a a true show business legend but he had his coffee mug george burns's coffee mug was was labeled god just like he was. <laughs> he played God in the movies. right? Yeah. And, uh, and I took a photograph of that where he's sitting there uh, with his coffee mug next to him. And uh, I'll never forget that. And that was thanks to Stephen Dorfman.
2: Factors ready to eat meals make eating better every day easy. When my schedule gets busy, it's nice to have pre-prepared, chef-created, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to my door. With over 35 different options a week to choose from and over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy with Factor. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Head to Factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 and use code Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. That's code Jeopardy50 at Factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke (laughs) girlie? Some peasant Coke? No.
1: diving into the database, I found a clue written by Stephen, researched by you, that Uh aired back in 2001, the category Y2K. The 1973 one of these from Berkeley High contains photos of Stephen Dorfman and Nancy Tong. So once in a while, he found a way to even be a part of a clue, it sounds like. (laughs)
3: Yes, it's almost like Al Hirschfeld of cartoon Nina or something you know he uh if he could he probably would have done a famous Dorfman's category or <laughs> something like that he did have that kind of um puckish subversive element but he was right about getting the light the light-hearted uh more pop culture material yeah. in in the game you know it just made for a wider audience I think that hadn't seen Jeopardy for a long time back in you know they had seen yeah. the 1960s 70s version but to get into 1984 uh, syndicated version with Alex. And it took a while for people mm-hmm. to, to warm up to Jeopardy. And uh, the rest is literally TV history. But Stephen Dorfman definitely was the one who was the visionary in many ways and led the management, the producers, to make the show better and uh, you know, more educational, but at the same time, more entertaining. Well, to just kind
1: of highlight how Stephen still is a part of the show, I also found a clue from just last year, from December fourteenth of two thousand twenty-three. Category: State of the College. The clue: It's the state of Wayne State University, attended by Jack White, Lily Tomlin, and Stephen Dorfman.
3: (laughs) That's wonderful. He was uh, for someone who you know left Detroit. uh, You know, he was always going back to visit his family and friends there after he passed in two thousand four the local newspapers and and everything would uh, mention him. Uh, He also, his family was very much into uh, Citizen band Radio, Ham Radio, and the call letters for his father, Neil Dorfman's uh, Ham Radio serial number. He tucked in a few (laughs) mentions over the years, and the Ham Radio people loved it because they knew it was Stephen Dorfman who did it. Suzanne, this has been
1: so much fun hearing these stories, you know, from a perspective that only you can share. We really appreciate your time, and we're so happy that this was the year to honor Stephen Dorfman.
3: Yeah, it's bittersweet. He's not here to enjoy it on this earthly plane, but like I said, people feel that he does hover over us, and his influence is far-reaching into Jeopardy!, and I'd like to think that he and Alex and George Burns are enjoying the (laughs) afterlife. But yes, thank you. Thank you very much for your interest in our special Stephen.
1: Well, Buzzy, that
3: brings us to the end of today's show. We're going to be back next week to discuss
1: the remaining Champions Wildcard games and the first Tournament of Champions quarterfinal. Plus, we're going to be speaking with the winner of Champions Wildcard right here on the pod. That person, of course, heading to the TOC.
2: Yeah, and as a reminder, you can catch the full Jeopardy! Honors Ceremony on YouTube this Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific. That's 9 p.m. Eastern. See you all next week.
1: See you then.